the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Xi Jinping opens the Conference of Chinese Communist Party delegates and is expected to get a third term. President Xi Jinping, as he said, is expected to remain for a third term. Governor Ron DeSantis provides new law enforcement officers $5,000 bonus checks. Police officers in this country are under attack. I don't know if people believe it or not. You don't have to believe it. And the threat of a railroad strike returns. You're talking about 30% of all the freight in the entire country just stopping. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Monday, October 17th. I'm Mike Scott. On Sunday, Iranian President Ibrahim Raisi said that President Biden and America were at fault for inciting chaos in his country due to the anti-regime protests that were initiated by the death of a young woman arrested and later dying in police custody due to improperly wearing a hijab. The Iranian president released a statement that read, in part, the American president, who allows himself through his comments to incite chaos, terror, and destruction in another country, should be reminded of the eternal words of the founder of the Islamic Republic, who called America the great Satan. For their part, the Biden White House has condemned Iran for its treatment of women and protesters. The protests have expanded in size and scope to include calls for the end of the government and ouster of the supreme leader of Iran, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei. ABC's Lama Hassan relays the latest news coming out of Iran, including the fire at an infamous prison. According to Iranian state media, the fire is now out, but those dramatic images flooding social media, you can see the prison engulfed in flames and you can hear the gunshots and the sounds of people who had gathered outside the prison chanting death to the dictator. This morning, Iran's most notorious prison engulfed in smoke. This video posted by local activists show the exploding fire, billows of smoke and gunshots heard at Evan Prison in northern Tehran. Among the prisoners there, hundreds who were arrested over the past four weeks of protests against the Iranian regime. The facility also holding American prisoners detained in Iran, such as Iranian-American Siamak Namazi, in prison now for nearly seven years. The State Department saying in a statement, We are following reports from Evan Prison with urgency. Iran is fully responsible for the safety of our wrongfully detained citizens, who should be released immediately. While Iranian state media is reporting the fire was ignited by what they call a group of thugs, the true cause remains unclear. Meanwhile, the escalating protests on the streets of Iran entering their fifth week. Hassan goes on to report that the death toll now linked to the protest is over 200. 
According to human rights activist news agency HRANA, 240 deaths now reported, including 32 children in protests initially sparked by the death of 22-year-old Masa Amini, arrested for violating the Islamic Republic's strict dress code, later dying in police custody and igniting massive protests against the regime and solidarity around the globe. At least four prisoners died due to smoke inhalation. Hundreds of people who had been demonstrating on the streets are locked up in Evan prison. So it's unclear if this fire is linked to the protests that have gripped the country that have been going on for more than a month now. Carol Platt-Lebow, president of the Yankee Institute for Public Policy, says that Western feminists have largely been quiet about the protest in Iran. In Iran, there's a feminist revolution struggling to survive. Masa Amini was detained by Iran's guidance patrol last month for failing to wear her hijab properly, then died at the hands of the mullah's morality police. Since then, women, even schoolgirls, have challenged the regime's authoritarian rule, waving their hijabs and chanting, death to the dictator. Good men are joining them in a complete repudiation of the Islamic Republic. Yet Western media downplays their protests. The Biden administration is silent. College campuses, which once would have teemed with supportive protests, are quiet. Worst of all are American feminists. Preoccupied with abortion, they can't spare a thought for their Iranian sisters struggling simply for the right to live as full citizens without fear. Say a prayer for these brave Iranian protesters. In response to Omani's death, workers in various economic sectors in Iran have conducted walkouts and strikes in protest of the government. On Sunday, Chinese leader Xi Jinping said he would steer China toward national rejuvenation and advancing a nationalistic vision. This has led some experts to believe that his words have put China on a collision course with the West. Patrick Folk of Newsy reports that Jinping has not changed his focus as he enters his third term. Well, look, this is the biggest political event there's been in decades in China. And as you say, it began with that customary address at the opening of uh, Congress. So President Xi speaking to the 2,296 delegates at the uh, Great Hall of the People yesterday. And he outlined what the party's key achievements were over the last five years and what the key priorities for the next five years would be as well. And really, you have to say that uh, out of that two-hour speech, there weren't really any indications of there being any significant uh, changes or shifts to policy. And to a certain extent, that was what was expected. Over the next few days, the delegates are going to be working behind closed doors to work on really what the focus of this Congress is about, the leadership reshuffle. And of course, President Xi Jinping, as you said, is expected to remain for a third term after scrapping presidential term limits in 2018. Uh, So really the emphasis was on continuity more than anything else. At the conference, Xi struck a confident tone, highlighting China's growing strength, but also acknowledging some challenges, which, according to the Chinese president, included Hong Kong and Taiwan. Gordon Chang, author of the book The Coming Collapse of China, says Jinping will try to absorb China before he leaves office. We don't know timing, of course, but we also know a couple things, and that Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, has said 
Taiwan is not a problem we can pass down generation to generation. Wow. So essentially what Xi Jinping is saying is that uh, we have to do it before I leave the office of general secretary. It's got to be my generation. It's got to be my generation. So that's one thing. Now, that when he leaves, we really don't know. Governor Ron DeSantis signed off on bonus checks of $5,000 for new law enforcement officers. This is part of Florida's law enforcement recruitment program. The Florida governor also stated that 335 more checks are being sent out to new recruits across the state. This is in addition to the $2 million DeSantis announced to assist first responders impacted by Hurricane Ian. We have the Florida Fraternal Order of Police and we have the Florida Professional Firefighters Association. All have had members that have been impacted in, in, in one way or another. And, and all of those definitely have members whose homes were destroyed entirely as a result of this storm. So we wanted to be helpful with that. We knew they were busy raising money to help. And so we thought with the First Lady's support that we could make a difference. So today, uh, I'm happy to announce $2 million towards those efforts for our first responders to help get them back on their feet from the Florida Disaster Fund. So you'll have $500,000 each to the charitable arms of the Florida Sheriff's Association, Florida PBA, Florida Fraternal Order of Police, and the Florida Professional Firefighters Association. So that's going to be a big deal. The Florida governor goes on to say that the bonus checks are only the beginning of his state's support for first responders. That's a big deal, and you're talking. We, we want to do more. Uh, this is not this is not the end from the Volunteer Florida Florida Disaster Fund perspective. We want to do more. I know they're going to work to raise more, which is good. But you're talking about hundreds of people across all these different organizations, uh, police, fire, and, and first responders who have been who have been impacted by, by this storm in a significant way. So, so this will help, and I think that this is something that is, um, uh, that, that is much needed because the work goes on. This announcement comes as a new report highlights an alarming statistic that shows attacks on police officers are on the rise. According to the report, 56 officers have been killed by gunfire this year. 14% more than this time last year, about 45% ahead of 2020's pace. The country is on track for the deadliest year since 67 police officers were killed in 2016. Brandon Tatum, a former police officer and host of the Officer Tatum Show on the Salem Radio Network, says that police are under attack in America. Police officers in this country are under attack. I don't know if people believe it or not. You don't have to believe it. Police officers are under attack. When you see crime go up and law enforcement presence go down, something is wrong. Something is going extremely wrong. The left wants to pass legislation and they try to project to the public that they are holding police officers accountable. Tatum says that, in his opinion, the police reforms that Democrats are proposing will not help police morale nor curb violent crime. You know, in, in this day and age, we need people reform. 
And I'm not here to advocate that cops don't do nothing wrong. I mean, that's, you got to be smoking crack in the back with Hunter Biden somewhere to think I'm saying that cops cannot improve. Like, I, I was a cop. Like, we need to shoot more. We need more training. We need jujitsu training. We need mixed martial arts. Like, we, we need to have all of that stuff in our arsenal so we don't have to kill you if we get into a fight. We can actually go to some combat um, before we have to use deadly force against a person. So there, there's ways that I think that we can improve. Um, but that ain't what the left is doing. But I'll say the people need to improve. The people are the problem. It's not the cops. It's the people. The 2022 midterm elections are now just 25 days away. And Republicans have a seven-point lead in their bid to recapture control of Congress. Daybreak Insider's congressional correspondent Bernie Bennett takes a look at the brand-new numbers. The latest Rasmussen Report's National Telephone and Online Survey finds that if the elections for Congress were held today, 48% of likely U.S. voters would vote for the Republican candidate, while 41% would vote for the Democrat. Just 4% would vote for some other candidate, but another 7% are not sure. The GOP lead is up three points from last week when they led 47% to 43%. Republicans have led the general congressional ballot all year, although their lead has narrowed since mid-July when they led by as much as 10 points. Bernie Bennett reporting. Last month, a tentative deal was struck between railway freight companies and their unions after direct intervention from the office of President Biden. That deal now seems to be in question as a union representing railroad track maintenance workers has rejected a tentative deal, renewing the threat of a strike that could cripple an already struggling American economy. The vote announced Monday by the Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way Employees Division was 43% in favor of the proposed five-year contract and 57% opposed. Andrew Donaldson is a commentator with Young Voices, a host of Heard Tell Radio, and is the managing editor of Ordinary Times magazine. A widely published author joined the Daybreak Insider podcast to discuss the looming threat of that railway freight strike. When you get with these unions, we're dealing with 12 separate unions. This is not one union. So this is it. You've heard the joke about the wheel and the wheel. This is a wheel and a wheel and a gyroscope inside of a red rubber bouncy ball that's getting thrown against the wall back and forth. This stuff is really, really complicated. So what the president announced last month and came out and said, well, we got this solved. Well, that was the heads of the unions had agreed to the proposals, but they still had to take that back to their union membership to get votes on. And it was really only four of the 12 that was a hangup. So now that process is underway. They've gone back to their union shops, and not all the union shops are on board with that agreement. So it's it's almost like starting from square one. And again, there's 12 of these, and they've all got to agree on it. This negotiation has been going on for three years. It's complicated. It's hard. And there's a little bit of a play of hand here because they know with the cooling off period and the rules and the way the union elections go – after doing that announcement and getting that from the White House, they knew that was going to push it past the November elections. So a little bit cynical play here, but that's the problem. There's a lot of moving parts to this. Donaldson explains the importance of rail freight, but says that, in his opinion, the deal will likely get done. It's been 30 years in America since we've had a full-blown railroad strike. And remember, America is a little different than most of the rest of the world. Freight has priority over passenger service because freight owns almost all the rail lines with a few exceptions. 
So whatever the rail freight companies want to do, that controls all of the rail service in America. And there's one other real important thing to notice here, too. They pick their timing well because the transportation logistics calendar runs different than your normal calendar. Uh, I know a lot of people aren't really thinking about Christmas yet. The surge of mercantile goods that go into the Christmas shopping season, that's what's getting transported right now. So this is actually one of the busiest times of the year for transportation logistics because they're stocking everything up for that blitz, what everybody calls blitz you know, October, end of October, November, through Thanksgiving, Black Friday, through the first of the year, right? That's what's getting moved right now. So that's why the threat of the strike is a little bit heightened. Now, after having said all that, let me preface with this. I still think this gets done. Remember, I've said this has been going on for about three years now. It's bad for everybody for a full strike because the unions will lose the will of the people to support them. Uh, the companies obviously lose money. It's bad for the country. I don't think anybody really wants to go there. And the asks of the workers here are not astronomical. It's actually mostly over benefits, not pay. So I think it still gets done. But yes, if you have a strike at this particular time, it's going to interrupt one of the biggest economic buying seasons in an economy that's already a little shaky. Donaldson says that the Biden administration got out over their skis announcing a deal before there was a deal really done. A month ago, they came out and said, oh, we've solved this problem, and they get the big press buzz. The problem was that turned out to be a little bit more PR than fact. Uh, and in fact, I probably, if I was advising them, I'd be like, you don't go out and say this before this goes back to the union shops, because those can be cantankerous things, and they've got their own ideas. So, yeah, I mean, you can do certain things and get the heads together and then have a big press conference like the president and his staff did and say, see, we solved the problem, yay. But there was more layers to it underneath you got to be really careful with this stuff because you're dealing with a lot of people. You're dealing with 12 separate unions. I can't emphasize that enough. Dealing with one or two unions is hard enough. 12 of them at once, that's exceedingly complicated. This is one of those things you probably were better off kind of doing at low speed, kind of doing it under the radar, getting all the I's dotted and T's crossed, and then coming out with announcement. But again, they knew if they announced that part of the deal, which was true, the heads had agreed on it, it would push this out with the cooling off periods and the way the elections work until after the election. They kind of kicked the can down the road, and they've probably made this process a lot worse for doing it. Donaldson goes on to explain the impact a freight strike would have on the country if unions can't come to an agreement. If they did a strike, a national strike, which again, it would have to be in the November time period now because of the way this has gotten pushed back, you're talking about 30% of all the freight in the entire country just stopping. Um, and then there's residual effects on top of that because now you're affecting, you remember back earlier in the year where the ports got backed up with the containers sitting on the docks. A lot of that was they couldn't get them trucked out. A lot of those containers moved by rail, so it would have a rippling effect on other sectors as well. So even though it would immediately shut down about 30% of what's already moving, it would have a stack-up effect behind that of everything in the logistics supply chain all the way back to the suppliers. And, of course, the suppliers both overseas and domestically in a strike they're going to start looking at what they're going to do because if they can't get their stuff moved, they're going to have to come up with other things. They may cut down production. It would be very, very bad for a lot of reasons because it's not a switch you can throw on and off. Transportation is a balance, and it's a continuing stream of events that have to keep moving. And as we saw during COVID and we saw during the port, port backup, if you get one little kink in that, it causes other kinks no matter what you do. These aren't on and off switches, so you want to be real careful. We need to avert this strike at all costs. I think we will. I hope we will. I think everybody wants that to happen. But if you don't, yeah, it's going to have a lot of ripple effects and ones that are probably unforeseenable for us right now as we sit here today. The Daybreak Insider Podcast would like to thank Andrew Donaldson for joining us. 
Find Andrew on Twitter at 4ForTheFire. Read his writings at OrdinaryTimes.com or listen to his podcast, Heard Tell, on Apple Podcasts. Inflation is a real factor as retail sales are flat in September. Daybreak Insider National Correspondent Mike Hempen has more on this story. The Commerce Department says the pace of sales at U.S. retailers was unchanged last month from August. For many Americans, the rising cost of rent and food reduced the amount of money available for other purchases. Sales at grocery stores increased four-tenths of one percent, helped by rising food prices. But sales at auto dealers fell four-tenths of one percent in September, while business at consumer electronics and appliance stores dropped nearly one percent. Overall spending has slowed and shifted increasingly toward necessities such as food. I'm Mike Hempen. Two people were arrested in London for throwing soup over Vincent van Gogh's sunflowers at the National Gallery there. Daybreak Insider's Ed Donahue has more on the vandalism. The two are members of the group Just Stop Oil. They dumped two cans of tomato soup over the oil painting, then glued themselves to the gallery wall. Are you more concerned about the protection of a painting or the protection of our planet and people? The soup splashed across a glass covering. The museum says the painting was unharmed. There was minor damage to the frame. People from that same group went to police headquarters in London and spray-painted yellow paint over the rotating New Scotland Yard sign. Others glued themselves to the road, blocking traffic. I'm Ed Donahue. And finally, the Alaska snow crab harvest has been canceled for the first time ever due to billions of crustaceans having disappeared. The Alaska Board of Fisheries and North Pacific Fishery Management Council announced last week that the population of snow crab in the Bering Sea fell below the regulatory threshold to open up the fishery. Jonathan Vigliotti reports that the population of snow crabs has mysteriously shrunk. An estimated one billion crabs mysteriously disappeared in just two years. That's a 90% plunge. Where have the snow crab gone? Did they run up north to get to that colder water? Did they completely cross across the border? Did they walk off the continental shelf on the edge there of the Bering Sea? We don't know. The first reaction was, is, is this real? You know, we looked at it was almost a flat line. Vigliotti goes on to say that the canceled crab harvest will potentially impact the livelihoods of many fishermen who depend on the crustaceans to make a living. It's Ben Daly's job to monitor the health of the state's fisheries, which produce 60% of the nation's seafood. His team is now investigating where the crabs have gone. But we're trying to look for causes. Uh, disease is one possibility. Daly also points to climate change. Alaska is the fastest warming state in the country and is losing billions of tons of ice each year, critical for crabs who need cold water to survive. Environmental conditions are changing rapidly. We've seen some warm conditions in the Bering Sea the last handful of years, and we're seeing a response in a cold-adapted species. So it's pretty obvious that, that this, is, this is connected. We need a rapid relief financial program to get us through disasters like this, much like farmers get during crop failures or communities get soon after a hurricane or flood. What does a person do whose life is dependent on the ocean when the ocean stops giving? Hope and pray. 
hope and pray the snow crabs return and his way of life continues. The real numbers are causing a shockwave through fisheries experts. The snow crab population shrank from around 8 billion in 2018 to 1 billion in 2021. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.